0: All right. Well, as we finish up this final class, I just wanted to give at least one week where we just kind of cover really practical things that we can do uh, to steward faithfully. Um, I mean, we covered the foundations for biblical stewardship. It was pretty broad. Um, but then secondly, we covered hindrances. And then third today, what are actual things we can be doing to faithfully steward what God has given to us? So... I just want to say that this then is not like the word of God on these steps or these practical steps we can take. Uh, They are more mere suggestions than anything. Uh, You guys might find some of these helpful. You might find some of them not so helpful, and and that is okay. Um, I just want to make sure, though, that I give you different avenues of ways of thinking of how we can steward God's resources in the best way possible. Finally, I also want to remind us as we come to this, as we talk about different strategies for maximizing uh, the wealth God has given us, that money is a tool to be used for God and not hoarded. So while I'm gonna be talking a lot about how we can maximize money, resources, uh, just know that, that again, the ultimate goal is not to hoard the wealth to ourselves, but it's to accumulate more to give away to others. So in case we forget this, uh, Jesus covers this clearly in Luke twelve sixteen through 21 um, in this parable. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. And the rich man thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I know I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I'll store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So again, as you hear me talk about different ways we can maximize our wealth, accumulate it, know again that The ultimate goal isn't to hoard it to ourselves. It's not to have an easy life, cushy, uh, you know, just the rest of your life like this man was aiming to do. That's not the goal. The goal is to be able to further invest what we make, what we accumulate, and then to invest it in God's kingdom here on earth. That's what life is about. So don't mishear me as I'm really focusing today on how we can steward and maximize what we have. So again, with that said, from my point of view... Um, what are some things that we can do to help us better steward what God has given us? The very first thing I want to begin with that we can all do is to invest in ourselves. To better steward what God has given you, invest in yourself and what God has given you. As we know, God has given you your very life. And he expects us all to develop, grow, grow, and flourish for his purposes. So don't be content with where you're at in life, but the desire to do more with all of the talents and abilities he's given you. Because stewardship isn't just about using money well, it certainly includes it, but it's using your talents, your abilities, and all that you have for him too. So, because of this, I want to begin by everyone having an orientation toward learning, growing, and dreaming of different ways you can maximize God's glory with the resources and talents that he's given you. So practically speaking, wherever you might be in life, we're all in different stages of life as I look across the room here, I would encourage you to invest in yourself by intentionally growing in areas of first areas you need to grow, areas of character deficiency, areas you know you are weak in. If there are deficiencies in your character pointed out by a spouse, a friend, a coworker or family, strive to be sharpened in that area. Ask for help if you need it to from a trusted person. This is the first way we can invest in ourselves. And a wonderful book I found helpful in this area is a short book called Your Future Self Will Thank You by Drew Dick. And in this book he gives incredibly practical steps to take in being able to grow really in the important spiritual discipline of self-control, and he does it in a very captivating and interesting way, and I've also found that this book has helped me to improve across the board in other spiritual disciplines as well. So as we invest in ourselves to be a better steward of what God's given us, look to areas that you are deficient in that might be deterring away from the glory of God in your life. But then second, invest in yourself in areas of your talents and your abilities, where you have desires to do much. Everyone has unique talents and abilities in this room. You are definitely stronger in certain areas of my life where I'm very weak. My wife, incredible artist. She's creative, can do beautiful designs. Me? nah, uh I, I, Dead end. And so I'm trying to encourage her. You know, Shan, this is where you're, you're gifted. Hone this for God's glory. Invest in getting yourself better uh, to make the most of what God's given you. And so all of you in this room, too, also have Unique talents, abilities, skill sets that I don't have. And so invest in those areas. Hone your craft, your ability for the glory of God. So whether it's your knack for home renovations or finance or business or car mechanics or art or parenting, whatever it is, be the best renovator, finance expert, entrepreneur, or parent you can be. Work on your craft, invest in your skills to make the most of what God's given you. This is how we be good stewards of what God has given us. So we've talked about sharpening ourselves and investing in ourselves. uh, But I find that we often make excuses for doing this. We go on cruise control. Uh, Some of us just stop growing. um, And often it's because we have excuses, right? There's so many excuses we can give ourselves for not doing this. And so I just want to address a couple of the common objections I hear for people not crafting themselves and improving themselves. One of the first objections is that I just don't have time, right? I think we hear this across the board, no matter where you are. You know, I'd love to invest in this skill that I have. I just don't got time. And so in response to this objection, I want to consider different ways we could make time. First Do your best to cut out time wasters in your day. We've covered this last week, hindrances to faithful stewardship. But again, as you budget your finances, so you should budget your time. Look at your time, how you're spending it in the week. Are there time wasters that you can cut out so that you can truly invest in what God has given you? Things like social media. Uh, This current age and generation is obsessed with TikTok and Instagram reels and binging Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and all of this sorts of stuff. Are there things you can cut out to make time to invest in what really matters? So substitute those time wasters then for educational purposes, for honing your craft and your ability to improve with all the gifts that God has given you. Second... I would consider um, consider your drives. Consider what it is you have desire to grow. Listen to educational podcasts. Listen to audiobooks uh, while you drive to and from work. Like, I think we all have drives for the most part of this room. Maybe many of you have switched over to working at home and maybe not so much anymore. Uh, but if you do have a drive where you're going, I think drives are a great time in our car just to listen to audiobooks or educational podcasts to further educate ourselves and sharpen ourselves. So that's another way that we can create time in the midst of uh, just a busy schedule. Third, again, you could consider the hard discipline of just waking up earlier. Uh, this is what my wife and I had to decide to do when we switched from one kid to two kids, because once the kids are awake, you, you, you don't get anything done. It's just like survival mode sometimes. So I encourage you to proactively attack life uh, by developing yourself in the morning. Uh, Shannon and I, we learn Spanish in the morning because that's like the only time we have together where like before everything hits the fan. So again, perhaps wake up earlier to be able to invest in yourself. Finally, I would again just encourage you to make time by scheduling it in. Like self-improvement, self Uh, investing in yourself time for God's glory, improving your skill and your trade. Because at the end of the day, while we may not feel like we have time, we need to make time. Because by sharpening ourselves, it will pay dividends in the end. I think if we we saw a man struggling to chop wood with an axe because it's like super dull, What might we tell him, you know? He's using a super blunt and, you know, just dull axe trying to chop wood. He can't get through it. And we would tell him, hey, you either need a new axe or you need to sharpen the blade to cut through it. You're using way too much effort. So sharpen the blade, cut through that wood. And similarly, I think if more of us took time to regularly develop ourselves, substituting poor hobbies for good ones, It'll make us sharper and more useful as individuals and actually even help us take less effort to get the things done that we typically do on a daily basis. So as a common saying goes, work smarter, don't work harder. And by working smarter, we educate ourselves. We invest in ourselves in learning and growing as individuals. So this is the first objection to why you might not want to invest in yourself or make excuses. But there is a second one as well. Woo. If you weren't awake, you are now. Caramba. That was not intentional, sorry. Not intentional at all. Woo. Second objection. I don't know where to begin. You know, I want to invest in my areas of where I have desire and skills, but you know, I, I just I'm not really sure where it is. And if that's you, I don't know where to begin, where to you know, begin honing my craft and getting better at it. Uh, talk to people around you who know you well. Talk to your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, you know, say, hey, you know, where is it that I'm, I'm talented, I'm gifted, where you think I maybe have the most usefulness? And, and hear what their opinions are on that matter. And then, of course, as you find out where it is that you should be developing and crafting your skill, uh, Then talk with people who are incredibly gifted in that area, people you know, that you look up to, you respect. And you say, hey, how did you get to where you are? How did you get to be that good in that skill? Because I need to grow in that way. Ask them for practical steps to get there. What books helped them or educated their thought process in how they got to where they got? Um, And in doing that, you'll be able to find your way and be able to really invest in the areas that God has truly gifted you. And at the end of the day, of course, outside of people, there is the internet and there is, there are books, right? Just millions of them all over. So start with a basic Google search like, you know, best books and videos on on finance, if that's an area you're looking to grow. Uh, Best videos on how to start a business or how to save money on taxes and et cetera. Uh, The reality is we live in the 21st century where information is more abundant than ever before. We have the internet, we have libraries filled with books, we have educational videos online, we have step-by-step videos on how to fix things on YouTube, and so much more. And so when it comes to investing in ourselves and improving our skill set, uh, we don't really have an excuse in this day and age at all. So again, this is the first point I want us to consider as good stewards of what God has given us. Begin by investing in yourself in areas where you know you need to grow, and then areas where you already have talents and abilities. Lean into the way that God has made you. Second, then, I want to give us the practical step of living below your means, right? Live below your means. And what I mean by that is uh, don't spend more than you make. Don't put out more than you take in. And this probably goes without saying, but if we are living above our means, we we might be making ourselves a slave to debt. And we won't be able to give to God or to others as he's called us to do. But beyond the adverse effects of living outside of your means that we see in our society all the time, there are also many benefits to living below your means. You'll be able to invest that excess money and make it work for you to get a return. You'll be able to receive the joy of giving to others with that excess money as well and be a help to society. And then as you live below your means, you are also able to communicate that true ultimate joy doesn't come from things or material goods or money, uh, but God himself, who is the giver of all good gifts. And so while, again, there's nothing wrong with material goods or money, living below our means communicates, in some sense, That ultimate joy doesn't come from things but God himself, even as we covered last week. Again, one more time, as we live below our means, we showcase that God is enough. He's enough. He's all I need to be content, even as Paul would make clear in the letter to the Philippians. And to take Philippians 4.13 in context, we can have joy. And contentment in all circumstances and all places because of Christ who strengthens me. That's what Paul tells us, right? We don't need money or things to ultimately be happy. We have all things in Christ, and we can have contentment because of that. So then, how do we do this, right? We're called to live below our means to be effective, from my point of view. How do we do this? First, if we desire to live below your means, as we covered last week briefly, you need to budget. You just need to, plain and simple, budget, 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 start there. If you don't plan to live below your means, you just won't do it, right? Failing to plan is planning to fail, right? You've heard that probably countless times, and it's so true in regard to our financial management. And so then after taking this first step, this crucial step, we, again, evaluate our budget, on the weekly, on the monthly, and we ask hard questions of ourselves, like what does my money show that I value most? And if we are constantly spending more money than we make, which is the majority of Americans in the USA, uh, we need to ask why that is. Why am I spending more money than I make? What is it that I'm desiring to the point of where I cannot live below my means? Could it be that a form of materialism has grasped my heart, even as we covered last week, different forms of that? Could it be fear of what others think of you that's causing you to spend more than you make? Could it be an overgrown desire for luxury or comfort as money is blown on extravagant vacations or things? Could it be that your happiness is more rooted in things than it is God himself? As we look at our budget, we have to be asking ourselves these hard questions that we sometimes just don't want to face at all. And of course, sometimes our budget will also point that actually it's none of those things at all, right? It could be external factors that we had no control over. You know, like medical emergencies, right? And, And something like that. So maybe it's not a heart problem, maybe it's more externally related to something like that. In some regard, I think the inflation we've all been experiencing certainly has made it harder on all of us, especially as we try to budget and live below our means. But whatever the reason, having a budget, as we covered last week, helps us to see our priorities and identify the problem if we are not living below our means. So again, as we strive to live faithfully to what God has given us, we need to take the practical step of budgeting God's money in a wise way and doing our best to stick to it by his grace. Second, as we seek to live below our means, we need to then identify needs, Versus once in your budget. So often we find ourselves saying, I need this. I need that. Is it truly a need or is it, is it a want? And so as you look through your budget, be identifying, nope, this is a need. I got to pay for my housing. I got to pay for my utilities. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I really need that subscription to Netflix. You know, like what are needs and versus wants? And because sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, I've done my budget. There's just not enough money. Like I have to spend more than I make. But then as they look at needs versus wants, actually they can live below their means. If they took the time to X out those things that are actually um, just wants, not true needs. So again, do your best to identify needs versus wants if we're going to live below our means. And then do your best to stick to the needs if you are constantly going over and above Uh, your budget. Third, if we want to live below our means, another helpful tip that I found is avoid buying new where you can. Okay, again, my personal opinion on this. Um, I tell people this all the time. I think 90 to 95% of the things in my house are used, like pretty much all of its used. And the only time I buy new is if it's cheaper than buying used, you know, and often you, you can find some deals on Amazon these days. Uh, where it's actually cheaper to buy new than used on Facebook Marketplace. And so there are, of course, some things that maybe you should definitely buy new, right? Um, like food, you, you gotta buy food new. You can't buy that used, right? We, we get that. Try try buy that. Well, maybe canned goods, I don't know. But yeah, you probably should buy food new. Leave that there. But there are so many things on Facebook Marketplace, on Craigslist, on OfferUp, these, these apps, where you can nearly get the items you think you want or need for half off to like 90% off. And of course, if you live in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota or Wisconsin, that's going to be much more difficult. But again, before going to the store to buy that new thing, it might not hurt to check on Facebook Marketplace. And again, I have been able to find so many deals and save so much money in that way. So this is something to look into, like if you really need something but can't afford it, or want something, maybe check this first to see if you can make it work in your budget. So again, living below our means is very doable for the most part, unless you've become a slave to like extreme debt or credit card debt. And in that case, talk with someone about that because you'll need more extreme um, actions to take at that point. So again, we've covered two ways then to steward well what God's given us, right? Invest in yourself. Live below your means. Any any questions on these two before we continue to move forward? Questions or comments? Things you found helpful in these categories? Ruth? Oh yeah. 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 Goodwill, Unique, Salvation Army. Yeah, I grew up on all of that. There's lots of good. Right, absolutely. Yeah, Heartland Outlet connected to Hosanna, I found is a really good one too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Did you have something? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Yep, Chapter of Store. Yep. Your store, thank you. Yeah, sounds like we got some thrifters here. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. If you're uncomfortable with meeting with random people you don't know, thrift stores are a great alternative. Absolutely. All right. We'll continue moving forward then here. Third, um, how do we steward well what God's given us? I would say eliminate or avoid bad debt. And for those of you who came just a little bit late, again, this is not the gospel. This is not God's word on the matter. This is just my opinion and take on a lot of these things. So if you disagree with me, that's okay. I just want to say that one more time because... This isn't super controversial yet, but maybe the next one will be. We'll see. But I'll just set you up for that. So eliminate, avoid bad debt. Now, again, this is more situational than anything. And I can't address like every situation, of course. But to oversimplify, um, bad debt could be defined as anything that is like, like holding you back in life from advancing forward, okay? That's like the mindset I have with bad debt. And you want to minimize this type of debt as much as possible. If it's going to hold you back. This is not to be confused with what I would call good debt, okay? Good debt, which actually advances you forward in life. And I believe there is such a thing as we'll address after this. So to put it into more concrete terms, bad debt typically comes with extremely high interest rates, right? Uh, Credit card debt is notorious for putting people into a pit that they can just never get out of right they're a slave to it at that point so avoid credit card debt if you can don't ever make an interest payment i think their rates are like something like 15 to 25 percent depending on your credit rating It's insane and so if you are making interest payments on a credit card today um my word of encouragement to you pay it off don't make any interest payments on a card if you can ever 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 help it um, because as we, we will soon learn it compounds quickly and you end up paying way more than you ever thought or imagined. So, as a rule of thumb, um, it is my opinion that going into debt for a thing that depreciates, that loses value over time, just isn't worth it. Like, try to avoid it. Depreciating items would include, like, most things in life, right? Cars, phones, laptops, clothes, and the like. Material things that lose value over time. And do not gain value. Now I realize that um, you can counter argue this like two to three years ago. Where like it almost made sense to take out a loan on a newer car. And then put more of your money to work in the market or something like that. But that's not the case anymore. Interest rates are way higher. As you've, if you have looked at the market the news. It's way higher than it was two to three years ago. So I don't think that's the case. So if we want to steward well what God has given. We should strive to avoid bad debt, pay it off immediately if we have it, especially credit card debt, uh, for it will certainly hinder us from doing and being all that we should be. And we could insert like a boatload of verses from Proverbs on bad debt, right? Now contrasted, right, contrasted with bad debt, if you don't have that, utilize good debt and know the difference between the two. And we have to be careful here, right? Don't go crazy on me. Um, but there is a category of good debt, even though people might disagree with me. Um, good debt, as I mentioned before, advances you in life and puts you in a winning situation that you otherwise couldn't have afforded initially. And so as a general rule of thumb, we should probably only go into debt for that which will appreciate in value, like homes, or... Give us a greater return than the debt is worth in the long run. Okay, so to put this into practice, right, put this into practice, some people then should really pause and consider whether or not they should go into serious debt for a college degree if it's a degree that won't pay well at all when you graduate, okay? That's my hot take on the matter. I'm talking about a degree like I got in school, okay? I got a biblical counseling degree and I just knew coming out of school, I was not going to be killing it at all. Okay. I wasn't gonna be making boatloads of money. Right. And so for me, I realized going into massive debt for a biblical counseling degree, that that's probably not the best stewardship of what God has given me. And so rather than go into massive debt, I joined the air force, right? I, I I went to the air force to pay for my college instead. So I joined him for six years. Um, Otherwise, I would still be paying off that debt today. I would not have a home to my name because the debt would still be in my way of purchasing an appreciating home. Unfortunately, um, I'll tell you the story of one of my friends. Uh, He was a Bible major, he went into 80K of debt for a Bible degree. Needless to say, he's had a very difficult time paying it off, getting a home, moving forward in life because of that kind of debt. And he even struggled really to find a wife at that point, because every time the topic of finances came up and he's like, I got this kind of debt that the woman's like, you know, I'm good. I don't want to tie myself to that. Um, but thankfully, he's found someone who was willing to, to, to do that. And he's, he's doing great now. He's married, has a couple kids. You know, so he's fine now. But it, it hindered him greatly. And he's like, Josh, I really wish I didn't do that. And I'm like, I wish you didn't either. But um, So again, considering for your kids too, when you're talking about whether or not I should get a degree, is the return on investment worth it? Is going into debt for that degree really going to put you forward substantially where you're making a lot more money to pay it off like a doctor or an engineer? Or is it really just going to hold me back drastically in Life. So do the calculations beforehand to see if it's truly good debt that will advance you forward in life or if it's a bad debt that will hold you back. Again, for me, the answer was it was not a good idea and that's why I joined the Air Force uh, to pay that off and then my MDiv as well. So now that we've used um, college degrees kind of like a, a baseline for, test for that a little bit, I think you need to ask that question across the board for anything you're considering going into debt for. And the same is true for, for houses, right? I think if you ever take out a mortgage, unless you're super rich, I think most of you will have to take out mortgages to pay for a house. That's going into debt. And I would argue that's normally, normally, a good form of debt. But at the same time, uh, you have to ask, is this worth, it? is this going to pay off in the end? I think generally speaking, I'm going to pay for this later down the road. Uh, Generally speaking, it's a good thing. Houses appreciate in value, and you end up making more than what you paid. Um, With the exception of those who bought a house, you know, in like the 2008 housing market crash, right? That comes to all of our minds here, I think. But if you have, you can get a pretty good deal on like a fixer-upper or a wedge deal, as they call it, then it's definitely the kind of debt you want to take on as it can add a ton of value to you in the long run. Now again, this doesn't cover every single scenario out there. You can't way overpay for a house, you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but I think a question we have to ask is, why are houses considered debt, at least from my perspective? Why are houses good debt? And do a little bit of education here. I am speaking a bit outside of my zone of expertise, okay? So forgive me here if like, I'm saying something inaccurate, but I'm gonna do my best here. But owning houses is good debt, Because first of all, inflation, right? Inflation. Now, do your best to track with me here if you can. I'm going to try to really, really oversimplify this. Uh, But as we live in America, the Fed aims to have inflation at a rate of what? 2% a year on average, right? What does that mean? It means that your money loses 2% of its value every single year, and that is by design, right? Of course, this past couple years, it has been way higher than that way, 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 hard. hitting all the way up to like 8% or something crazy like that. But that's not an accident, okay? Inflation is by design by the Fed. Now, historically speaking, the rate of how much you make per year is meant to keep pace with inflation or exceed inflation, okay? So the amount you make is supposed to be more than the inflation rates in the USA. And the only exception to this was last year where the inflation actually outpaced wage growth. So again, if you're still tracking with me, in theory, if the trajectory continues and wage growth matches and exceeds inflation, then it is becoming easier for you to pay off that $300,000 loan by 2% each and every year. So while the debt remains the same, your ability to pay it off is increasing probably 2 to 3% each year. It's, it's almost as if inflation is eating away at your debt. It's making you money. Um, this is not the case across the board. Um, you get into these complicated terms, like you have to have a mortgage rate that is less than the inflation rate, Zero inter- uh, negative uh, interest yields. So if you have something like that, you can Google search that. It's actually making you money by having debt. Okay, that's probably went over a lot of your heads. Mine too. I'm still trying to figure this all out. But by financial experts, they're saying this is a good move for the common person as it makes you richer having this type of debt. So again, while 250 k might seem like a lot for now in 30 years or so, the home will have probably tripled or quadrupled in value. I mean, you just talked to Older people, ask them what they pay for their house and see what it's worth now. I mean, that's probably the easiest way. And the same will be true going into the future because inflation's not going to let up. So, again, my whole point here, utilize good debt. Houses are good debt. And I think it's generally speaking okay to go into debt for houses. Now watch us having housing crash and that'll be just completely wrong. <laughs> but we'll see. All right. Again, with inflation, it inflates the prices of assets like your home. So again, it's a good form of debt that protects your money. Any questions, comments on that? Richard, I know you are a financial whiz. Do you want to add anything to that? Because I know that you have more experience there. You bought at the worst time. And you're still saying it's worth it. Okay. All right. Good. We'll keep moving on then. Number five, how can we steward well what God has given us? Um, invest in appreciating assets. Um, man, how far do I go into this? I'm gonna go too deep here. All right, Albert Einstein once said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it, he who doesn't pays it. Okay? Compound interest. Why do you invest in appreciating assets? Compound interest. And that's how MasterCard and Visa. Uh, Make their money as they get rich who knows what compound interest is here Compound interest compound interest kind of yes generally could you explain it? All right, no one wants to raise their hand for that. Okay, let's look at this chart here compound interest is Basically your interest compounding on itself thereby making you more and more money each and every year Okay, this chart here. Let's say you invested $500 a month into the S&P 500 a major index fund Um, and it compounded annually at 10% rate, okay? What would you end up with over 30 years? You would end up with a million dollars, give or take a few dollars here or there. And the grand total is, over those 30 years, of putting $500 in every single month, you would have only put in $180,000, but because of compound interest, that $180,000 has grown to $1 million, all because of the power of compound interest interest. That's $820,000 you did not put into the S&P 500 that you would have made in interest. So that's like it in like really not forming. We want to take part in that compound interest ourselves by investing it um, in reasonable assets and stocks. So this is why when you understand the power of compound interest, where it keeps compounding on itself, why the rich get richer? The more money you have, the easier it is to make each and every year. And the hardest part is to get that snowball rolling to the point of where it starts making all this money on its own. If you look at this chart here, that money doesn't really take off till about year 20. And then that's where it starts to go crazy. When you get to about the 350K mark and then 10% compound on not, you're just like shooting through the roof at that point with money. So again, that's why the rich get richer as they have all this money to invest. And we should take notes as Christians and learn from that and to be investing ourselves and to take advantage of compound interest. That's as far as I'm going to go on that. I want to put that out before you as why people tell you to invest. Uh, but how do you do this, right? Let's, let's get to some practical things. Uh, your retirement account is likely tied to the market. You should probably figure out what you're investing in. Try to invest in something like the S&P 500 index fund. If you're older, near retirement, maybe that's not for you. Consult a financial advisor. I am not that. Um, so if you have a match plan where they're like, hey, we'll, uh, we'll match 4% of like, your retirement, whatever you put in, do that. Because again, compound interest. Like it will add up incredibly fast over a length of time. So if your company offers that, take advantage of it. That's something I wish wish that I had worked for a company that did a match plan, because I never had that opportunity, I've heard of them. Do any of you work for companies with match plans? One, two, you did, three, four, five. I would encourage you just match, get that free money for sure, um, because again, as it compounds on it, it's guaranteed free money. And then if you uh, don't have your own uh, retirement plan, you're doing this on your own, if you're younger, I would just go with the S&P 500 index fund. Um, they're a dime a dozen. There's tons of them. Invest in that. Warren Buffett, who is considered the goat of investing, said that this is what most people should do, like 95% of people should do, and it will save you the pain of uh, the hard research and labor that you need to do. So this is probably the safest bet um, if you're on the younger end of the spectrum. Or, and again, if you're closer to retiring, this might not be for you. And then finally, if you have like, no risk tolerance whatsoever, you want to invest, but you don't want like, any risk at all, uh, consider money market, savings account, true savings accounts, okay? Um, I think right now the going rate is like anywhere between 4.5% and 5.5% of free money a year. So keep the minimum amount you need in your checking account to pay for expenses and then put all the rest into one of these types of account that's earning you like 5 to 5.5% interest. Now, a lot of banks, I find, will offer you a quote-unquote savings account, right? A savings account which offers you like 0.05% return. Avoid those like the plague, okay? Get your money out of there. It's a scam. It's a ripoff. Put your money into a real savings account. Know how much you're accumulating because, again, compound interest. Over time, it really begins to add up quickly. Okay, a lot more could be said here, but I am out of time practically. So as we end here, I just want to hit um, some other real quick practical tips to consider for yourself. Um, Before you buy a home, do your best to get your credit score up to 760 or more. You can check it on Credit Karma. It'll give you the best mortgage rate possible. And then set your kids up for success as well. Um, with, with a credit card that you could co-sign, help them to build their credit so that it will get them ahead in life when it comes time for them to, to buy a home. Uh, my wife didn't have any credit at all. And so when we were like applying for a mortgage, and everything, they're like, what's going on with her? She was like, nothing. I'm like, wait, you don't have any credit? And so just do yourself and your kids a favor. Help them maybe by getting them some credit by opening their credit card with them. Um, this one is very much a caveat. Like, if you're a responsible spender, if you know how to use credit cards and have never paid an interest payment on it, there are amazing credit card rewards that could talk your ear off for like hours, okay? Travis and Swati, we got into that a little bit. Man, I was looking at the time like, okay, I spent way too much time talking about this. But there are amazing, powerful tool to maximize uh, your vacations and your travel. Um, Just quickly, the Hennigans, I used credit card card points for our church. and long story short, I basically got our ticket 66% off for them to get to Guam. It's amazing, amazingly powerful, and they easily 2X to 3X your money if you know how to use them, and I'd be happy to talk with you more. Um, if you have a super low mortgage rate, let's say it's below 4% right now, rather than put that extra money towards your principal, invest it in like the 5 to 6% uh, rates that you have going right now. Do that instead, because uh, you're going to make more money in the long run doing that than making extra mortgage payments on your principal. And then last but not least, open up a HSA account. Uh, it has double tax benefits. It will really, really help you. Um, again, especially if you, have, if you have a medical expense. Um, and I don't have any time to talk more about that. But if you have any questions, you want to talk more about these things later on, um, please do with me. But again, as we close... The goal of saving money, doing these things that we've talked about here, um, is not just to hoard money to ourselves, but to make the most of what God has given us for his glory. So again, keep that in mind. It's not just accumulating money for the sake of money, but it's to use it for his glory in the end. So let's keep that focus in mind as we now transition to worship. Father, we... We ask that even now as we transition to corporate worship together uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, would you help us to faithfully steward all that you've given us for your glory. For you are worthy. You are worthy of all things. For you created us and you've redeemed us. So we thank you for Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross that cleanses us from sin. And we ask now that we would lift up our voices to you in praise for all that you've done for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you.